One thing that photography allows me to do is create my own opportunities to get my mind in a place where I'm hunting, even in the most obscure places. I really like people photography, whether it's a hunt or whether it's a, a story. One of the ways I, if I talk to people about how to improve their craft or what, what can make a better photograph, you know, I try to have people just think about what's the purpose. I can't do both. I can't hunt and photograph. I have to choose one or the other. I'm pretty intense. That's an important aspect of this to me is how are we presenting ourselves? What story are we telling with our imagery? If you can situate yourself to get in an opportunity to explore new things and using the camera as the tool to do it, it's exhausting, but it's where I'm, I think I'm the best human I can be. This is Tony Bynum and you're listening to Living Country in the City. Y'all ready for your dose of flyover state spirit? Straight from the concrete jungle? Well, put down your latte and pull on your boots. It's time for Living Country in the City. Hey, y'all. Thank you for joining me for episode 93 of Living Country in the City. Want to say a big thank you to y'all for tuning in. We are getting there almost to 100 episodes, and I still have not figured out what I want to do for episode 100. Episode 100, episode 100. Hmm. I need to uh, work on my pronunciation, pronunciation, enunciation. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages. Things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. As a podcast host, I think I should really get this together. Anyway, I need to figure out what I should be doing for episode 100. So, if you all have any suggestions, feel free to hit me up on Instagram or email me at info at livingcountryinthecity.com. I would love to get suggestions from y'all. Anyway, before we get started with today's episode, I want to give a huge shout out to Sawyer Products and thank them for their continual support of the podcast. Folks, as you are prepping for your hunts this year, as you're looking at your gear, make sure you check out Sawyer Products. Get your hands on those really essential pieces of gear that you, I guarantee you're going to need for the backcountry. Their water filtration systems are unmatched. They're super light. They are just completely bulletproof. And we've all had those filters that you try and filter water through them, and it's just drip, drip, drip. Takes forever to get water filtered through there. I picked up the Sawyer Gravity Filtration System. It just powered through a whole gallon of water in nothing flat. Make sure you check those out. They've also got incredible products for insect repellent, sunscreen, and first aid. Go hit up their website, Sawyer.com. All right, y'all, on to today's episode. I hop on the line with wildlife photographer Tony Bynum. 
I'll tell you what, y'all. I have had only a few people on the podcast that can really truly compete with this guy's experience as far as with wildlife, the outdoors, and hunting. Really awesome guy to talk to. We have a fantastic conversation, so I hope you all enjoy today's episode. All right, we are here again a uh, for California, a very brisk morning. <laughs> I came into the podcast studio here, and it was a bit chilly and hard to type, um, but... <laughs> I am here with Tony Bynum. Uh, Tony, thanks so much for hopping on the episode this morning. Yeah, right on. I'm, gl- I'm glad to hear you. And I'd, I'd like to hear maybe a little bit more about how brisk it is in Northern California. It's, I mean, yes, it is not, it is no Montana right now, but uh, I, I, it's been a while since I've used the office. I've been honestly just working off my couch lately. And so I haven't had the heater running in here and it was, it was a little uh, icy this morning and it's been actually snowing not a ton but it's been snowing a little bit around here so for northern california this is pretty chilly i'm just saying i'm not not trying to make any claims here <laughs> no i know it's all relative man i mean we're just getting winter here finally in in montana so we're, i'm kind of excited about that it's uh you know been below zero for a few days and that's the way it's expected for the next week or so but you know i i uh Cold is cold, man. If you're cold, you're cold. It don't matter what the temperature is. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I've been, I've actually been looking at. Uh, the goal is for me to move to Montana. That is where I want to head, and I'm, I'm up in Northern California right now, saving and looking for the right place. Um, but my family's been trying to convince me to, to buy a place out here first, and then that way I can do, you know, become a resident of Montana, spend three seasons a year there, and then for winter, you know, come back for the holidays and winter it out in northern california and i'm not cannot say i'm fully opposed to that idea (laughs) i I wouldn't be either i mean you know uh it's a great place but i guarantee you once you spend a winter up here you probably want to stay because even though it gets cold there's there's so many things to do and Mm -hmm. it's just another season to sort of approach you know uh, outdoors i to me winter time you can learn a lot and there's fewer people so it's a great time to be out Oh, yeah. And I've always, I I mean, obviously, there's a difference between loving to visit the cold and and being up to your neck in it uh, (laughs) for for the entire season. But I've always I've always loved the cold, the snow. Um, It is I've for someone that was raised in Southern California, I am an insane. I have an insane dislike of hot weather and absolutely love cold weather, which all my friends absolutely think I'm crazy for, but, um, anyway, uh, so always like to start the podcast, maybe with just a little bit about yourself, um, kind of an introduction, who you are, maybe how you got your start in hunting the outdoors and even a little bit of the outdoor photography, how you got your start in that. Yeah. So, um, my name's Tony Bynum. Uh, I like to call myself an outdoor photographer. Um, you know, there's lots of categories. And, and so when I say outdoor photographer, that's main, my main theme. You know, I do all kinds of photography, but outdoors is really kind of where, where I get my energy and what I like to do. And the things I cover vary too, you know. So, but I, I you know, I started out young in the outdoors. And so uh, growing up and spending my life, you know, outdoors, fishing was a big part of my young life. Uh, I actually went to grade school. I was born in Walla Walla, Washington, and spent a lot of time in that part of the world. Uh, that would be a little bit of Idaho, 
you know, right down in the corner of, of Southeast Washington is Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. And as a kid growing up in that place, like you didn't really see state lines and it really didn't make much difference, right? Because like it's all in one spot. So whether you're fishing in Oregon or you're over in Idaho or you're in Washington, the only thing you had to really pay attention to was having the right license. Uh, but otherwise, it felt like one place, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a state, for example, it was just that whole area. And so fishing and hunting in the Blue Mountains, fishing for steelhead and salmon and, and trout uh, in the Snake River, um, hunting in the Blue Mountains. And then later on, uh, my parents got divorced and I headed with my mom over to, to, to go to high school in, in uh, or even middle school in Olympia, Washington. So I got to feel what it was like to be uh, wet and mossy and like gray all the time, which um, as it turns out, I really didn't like much of that at all. I mean, I learned a lot there. Don't get me wrong. The Pacific Northwest is freaking unreal. I love Seattle in the summer. You know, those places are tremendous, but there was something about being spawned in, in a dry, arid environment um, over in Walla Walla that just, it was almost genetic, man. I couldn't wait to get away from the trees. I always just felt hemmed in. So I finished up uh, my high school there. Didn't ever, didn't ever think I was going to go to college or do anything. I was actually just going to farm and and fish and hunt, and that's just what I was going to do. And you know, I had a great guy when I was in high school. He was a counselor, and he just said, "Look, man, like just fill out this application. You know, maybe you go to college, maybe you won't. But if you don't fill it out, you won't know." And so I ended up filling out a couple applications. Went to college uh, at Central Washington University. Um, and why I went there, um, because of the fantastic opportunities to hunt fish. Nice. Um, was a fishing guide there, worked on all the biggest ranches in the valley, um, cowboyed, rodeoed, farmed, irrigated, worked at restaurants. I mean, I basically put myself through college, um, ended up graduating um, and guiding at the same time. So guiding fly fishing was a big part of my college life. Um on the Yakima River primarily, and graduated with a degree in geography and land studies. And then another opportunity sort of poked its head through the through the weeds, as it were. And um, I was actually standing around in a in a bullpen. I was a supplement supplement for cattle, so I'd travel all over and look at cows and bulls and steers and try to get their health up. And I had one of those old phones. I don't know if you remember back when cell phones first came out, but they were big ugly looking things. Anyhow, I answered that phone one time and I was out in the field and it was a professor of mine who said, you know, I'd like you to go to graduate school. And I, it was the farthest thing from my mind. I was actually just a couple of weeks from moving to Nevada and going to work on a big ranch there. I wanted to be a buckaroo and that, that was what I was going to do for the rest of my life or so I thought. And he gave me that opportunity fully paid. Um, I got my own office. I got to set my schedule and go to graduate school. Uh, it was about an $80,000 scholarship. And, you know, it was I, it was funny because I said, well, how the hell am I going to go to college, like grad school? I didn't take the test. You know, I'm not a great student. And he said, don't worry about it. It's all taken care of. Just show up. And he said, you have about 10 days before class started. And I'm like, wow. So I, I thought about it overnight, you know, and I figured, man, I love what I'm doing, but maybe this is a signal, you know, so I took that opportunity and graduated. I got a master's degree in science, uh, in resource management and, and 
wildlife public policy, um, really focused in on on wildlife and landscape restoration. So I finished up that degree with a math. I got a master's degree there and went to work for the Yakima Indian Nation for, God, I don't know, probably 10 or 12, 15 years. I don't know what it was. Um, but in that, in all of that, working on natural resource issues and the environment, um, and all the while fishing and hunting and trying to make a living outdoors, my my goal had been from younger uh, to make a living in the outdoors. And I felt even as a buckaroo, to me, that's living outdoors. Like it's pretty rugged and that's what I wanted to do. And so while, while I diverted a little bit from that original plan, um, the outdoors was still where I needed to make a living. And, you know, I remember as a kid, maybe you remember this, I don't know how old you are, but, um, you know, watching Marty Stauffer on TV was like, like the, my, the best thing, my, it was my favorite thing on TV and watching his shows, it made me realize there was a way to make a living in the outdoors also. So later I just, you know, after the science thing went down, I moved to Washington DC for a couple of years and I, I worked for uh, a little bit of time under President Clinton and then under President Bush uh, at the Environmental Protection Agency. And after that, I decided kind of almost like I wanted to retire from the whole world of politics and heavy science. And like, it was just getting me down, you know, and I needed to get back out to the outdoors. So I moved to Montana and just uh, started my photography business. And, you know, mostly by necessity, I lived in a really remote part of Montana and I had a daughter on the way, like there wasn't any jobs. And I did a little consulting here and there, but the whole time I moved back to Montana, this was like 2002. And I just started shooting photos like a madman, you know, I'd always taken photographs, but at that point I felt like, I think, you know, I think I can make a living doing this because my passion's there, my motivation's there, my drive is there, my location is there, everything I need to do is right here. And about 2005, I, uh, or six in there sometime, I started my business and really went full time in about 2008 when, um, when I had a job as a consultant and that sort of ran out, the time was up on that job. And I thought it's either sink or swim. I can either drive a bus or work on a ranch, build someone else's fence or, <laughs> or I can, I can uh, go into this photography thing and, and make a, make it go. I'd already published lots of stuff by then. I, I'd been uh, uh, shooting photos for a number of years and I had a really good catalog of images and, and largely those were, um, images of Montana and the outdoors and hunting. And, and as a, as a early creative person, I was trying to figure out a way to combine my love of resources and the outdoors and, and the environment and tell stories about that. And I know that sounds cliche, but really that's what the motivation or the drive was is like, like I worked in the administration in Washington, DC in those two years was you know, you get to see paper pushed, you get to see big numbers and meet with incredible people and, and make a difference at a really high level, but it's hard to see it on the ground. So I felt like that with that photography, there might be a way to combine all that together. And so I started in on some big projects of my own and, you know, just started shooting hunting and wildlife and really, really trying to photograph just about anything I possibly could that would help me learn the craft. You know, anything from a still life of an antler with a flash and a and a black background in my living room to um, traveling all over the country to get photographs of, of whatever I felt passionate about. And that's led now to 
a fantastic career. I've traveled the world several times. I've been all over the world. I've hunted on every continent except uh, Antarctica. Um, I have just recently back from Kyrgyzstan from uh, a Marco Polo and an, and an Asiatic Ibex hunt. That was this fall. Um, so my photography career is just, it, it, you know, I feel like I've had, I don't, I don't really understand the trajectory much. I don't know how come it all happened the way it did. I made some really good choices and had some luck early on. Um, and I, I feel like I'm blessed as hell to, to even be sitting here talking to you about all this, uh, let alone living that life, you know? Um, but it doesn't, it's not without its challenges, but that's kind of my story, you know, and now I'm in Montana still, and I've got three girls here that are all going to high school. Um, they're all driving, which like is a whole trip in and of itself. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it, dude, I, I'm telling you, every day is a, a new day for me. And, and, you know, I look forward to, to my photography and to, to challenges and meeting new people. And I'm also the, the president of the Professional Outdoor Media Association. And, you know, I take that, I take that, um, there's a lot of responsibility there. And I, I really value those people in that organization and what we're up to. And so, um, gosh, that was a long introduction, but I mean, we can go anywhere from there. It's been a long road, but it's still, like, I love it. You know, I wouldn't change anything about it. So suffice to say you have a little bit of history in, with the outdoors, in the outdoors, um, from, I mean, pretty much every angle you can, come at it from <laughs> um I, I i've never asked this question before but i'm curious is there with your history in the outdoors i guess it's a two-part question is there anything that you that you haven't done that you you wish you had and and is there anything you wish you you could change about your history that's two questions um is there anything i haven't done and i I'll answer it this way. I think um, the devil in all of this work is in your mind. And what I mean is um, what I haven't done has been aggressive enough, and maybe that's the wrong word, but it's a challenge for me every single day to try and reach to a new place in my life and to try and explore new opportunities, meet new people. So the one thing I haven't done enough of is is work hard enough at being outdoors if you can imagine that and and i mean that sincerely like like when it's cold or wet or you've got business to do or you know so what i haven't done i think is gone to enough places that are where i live even though i've explored about most of it the north american continent from alaska to mexico you could spend your entire life in and not see it all not experience it all not even hardly scratch the surface so i feel like that drives me all the time. And it's almost to the point where sometimes I just get really agitated thinking, man, there are people who spend tens of thousands of dollars to come to where I live. And I see it every day. And I still haven't explored a certain piece of it, or I, I take it for granted too much. And so I think for me, I haven't, I haven't explored enough. I haven't put myself in enough situations to where I'm satisfied uh, even though I live it every day, it seems like there's still rocks to turn over. And if I never left Montana for the rest of my life, I think I could wear myself out. Um, if there's anything I could change about the past and, and my history, um, 
I that's that's hard. That's a hard question, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would probably try to learn to react and take advantage of opportunities even more than I have. Um, though there is one thing about this business, this industry, the outdoor industry is is you really have to jump on opportunities when they present themselves. When it comes to hunting, it's no different. You know, I have watched populations of wildlife rise and fall. I've lived long enough. I'm almost 50. So I've seen it rise and fall in different parts of the world, in North America even, where you're sitting there and you're going, oh man, look at this. You know, there's this great mule deer buck that lives down here. Or there's these elk that live over there. Or, you know, there's bighorn sheep over here. And you're sitting there thinking, well, should I drive to Utah or should I drive to Colorado or should I fly somewhere to see these animals and photograph them? Well, maybe I'll wait till next year. Well, next year comes along and those deer are dead. Those elk have gotten a disease. The sheep have gotten sick and died. I mean, so in almost every place I've been where I've really enjoyed my photography about the outdoor photography, primarily wildlife, um, I've seen that happen. And there are places I could go right now that used to be the best places to photograph animals. They're almost wildlife deserts at this point. And so I think if my if I had anything to change, it would be jump on those opportunities, whether it's to pull a bow back or, you know, shoot a, I mean, take salmon, for example, steelhead and salmon in the Pacific Northwest, Northern California and Oregon. I mean, in your lifetime, you've seen it go up and down. I mean, there might be a time when the San Francisco River or, you know, when those big rivers in Southern Oregon don't have steelhead and salmon anymore, ever. Like, and you lived when you could go fish for them. And so, you know, looking back, that's probably my thing is, is if you have that opportunity, you better take advantage of it now because it's going to change. It's, it's something I've come to realize and, you know, I'm, I'm at the point now where I have a lot of people that, that reach out to me and, you know, folks that are in similar situations to me where they've grown up in the city or they haven't grown up hunting and they're, they're looking to get started. And, um, that's one of the first things I've started telling people is take any opportunity you can to get out there and, and either hunt or just get out and experience wildlife and um cuz that's that's one thing I I kind of look back at my first year really really hunting and you know I I put all of this pressure on myself for this one big elk hunt and it didn't turn out even close to how I hoped and it was it was pretty rough and I look at that and I'm like you know I don't get me wrong like I do not regret going on that elk hunt at all and I would do it absolutely do it again uh if if it was the choice between not doing it and not learning any of that stuff or going back and having it happen exactly the same i would go back every time but i could have in with all of the pressure and all the prep i was doing for that i could have probably gone on a on a hundred other hunts as well yeah and that's the one thing that that first year taught me was hunt all the time or go out and experience wildlife all the time. Yeah. Find any excuse to, to do that. Um, cause one, there's no, there's no replacement for that time out. And, and two, you never know when you're not going to be able to do that. You never know what you, right. next year is going to, going to hold. You never know, um, 
whether whether on yourself or on the end of the wildlife. You never know, yeah, if those elk hunts are going to disappear or that herd is going to suddenly get CWD or, heck, you don't know if you're going to end up, uh, you know, injured or you never know what's going to happen. So it's important to take advantage of opportunities when they present themselves. Yeah. And, and I, I, I'll take the step farther and say, um, create your opportunities. You know, Mm -hmm. um, one thing that photography allows me to do is create my own opportunities to get, to get my mind in a place where I'm hunting, even in the most obscure places. Like, like imagine, you know, you're in a place where, you, you know, you're, you're reasonably, you're not going to go elk hunting because you're in a freaking place that doesn't have elk, but yet, you know, you're sort of isolated and you've got work to do and you've got, you know, a life to live. And yet your mind is saying like, I want to go shoot an elk or I want to go hunt one or a deer or whatever that is, but you're in a city or a town. I mean, I have, as a photographer, I'll give you one quick story where, um, I learned early on about getting myself and my mind in a place where I'm actually hunting. And in my photography, I end up in a place that is kind of like, um, completely my own. Like it shuts out the entire universe around me. Even if I'm sitting on, you know, the deck of my house. And one time I was, I was, this is in Montana here. And, you know, you, you guys have all kinds of great birds and whatnot in your part of the world. You've got, you know, swallows that fly through and you've got migratory bird species of all varieties. And, you know, I'm sitting on my uh, deck at my house and, and this hummingbird keeps zooming by. And I'm just like, like, I know it is cause I can't see it. I can just hear it. You know, and I'm like, okay, there's this thing around here. So I, um, I put up a feeder there for that hummingbird. And all of a sudden I figured out there was like 10 of them. And so what I did was I sort of put the feeder in a place where in the background, um, it was a beautiful, nice and, and green and blurred out background because it was quite a ways behind. Like, so I hung the feeder there so that if I was to set my camera up and wait for these birds to come in, I could get fantastic photos of them in almost what looked like a completely wild setting. Right. So, so the strategy was like, there's, there's, there's a, there's an animal I want to photograph. There's a strategy for how to do it. And once you start down that path, the whole process is right at your house. It's on your back porch. You're not going anywhere. You can do it all day long, but you're hunting a species and I'm not going to shoot it with my rifle, but I am going to try and get some fantastic photos. And just that process alone on my deck with a bird feeder, you know, like I was so entertained by that. And I (laughs) felt like I was like, you can't move because they're spooky little birds and you got to hide and you got to set it up right. And the wind should be right. The light has to be coming in at the right angle. So like all that preparation is very similar to what you have to go through, you know, to go on a hunt. Now, obviously your cardio is not getting a workout and you're not, you know, you're not carrying a big bag around, but, but you see, my point is it, if you can create a situation where you're going through that mental process, you even make a checklist, gosh, I need this thing. I need to get this lens. I need to get this tripod. I need to get that angle, you know, and really get creative. You could even put up your own backdrop. I mean, that's a blind, right? So, so it's, it's not, I'm not, I'm not making up bull here. Like I'm serious as a heart attack. This stuff is, is really doable. And it helps me at times when I'm like, 
restless and need to do something. It's like, you know, get creative. You know, the only thing keeping you from doing something is yourself. And yeah, we've all got commitments, but you can do little things like that on your back porch and, you know, uh, try, try to video or do time lapse of the clouds and a plant growing in your yard. I mean, there's so many things you can do that take you through the steps from it's really a project beginning, middle, end, and then a product that if you do that, it's just like training as a fireman. I was a fireman for about 10 years too. And you can go through that process. You don't have to be going to a burning house every time. You just have to train your mind and your body and your experience to live in that sort of moment of how do I approach capturing photos of this bird? It's very similar to how you approach any other hunt, and it, it's doable just about anywhere. And the one thing people don't realize, though, is that's that's a certain mindset. You've got to be prepared to take advantage of those opportunities at any given time. Like we were talking about, you have to be willing to, I mean, yeah, you, you make the opportunities, but you have to be prepared to take advantage of the situation to make those opportunities to where, um, you know, you, you saw that hummingbird, you were, you were like, okay, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do this now. Uh, I'm going to hop on that versus you weren't just sitting there going, oh yeah, hummingbird. Hmm. Yeah. And then like, you know, a day later, you're like, crap, I really wish I'd taken a picture of that dang hummingbird. You know, it's well, that's what, that's what happens. And you get it. It's a cycle, dude. You get in that cycle of not doing stuff and it's really um, bad for you. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you can we can think of a thousand million reasons not to do something, man. And it's just that, you know, taking advantage and sort of the training just alone of going through the process of teaching yourself to overcome some obstacles, get creative, take advantage of situations, that, that grows in, and every time you do it, you get better at it. And then once you're in a situation, like I got the tag now, I've done a little scouting, whatever the case is, you're prepared for the mindset. It's sort of, it's almost like, um, as a photographer, a wildlife photographer, um, getting around, being around big ungulates, elk, grizzly bears, um, mule deer, bucks, uh, sheep, whatever they are. Like if you do it enough, as I have done, there isn't, you don't get this, like, I don't know, like nervous around them, you know? And so even that, like preparing to, to be present with a wild animal, whether it's a bird or another animal helps you on the hunting side, because you're now familiar with what it's like to be that close. What is it like to interact with that animal? They know you're there. They don't know you're there, whatever the case is. But it's like, um, it's like, you know, being scared when you first put the gun up and, or the bow, pull the bow back to shoot something. And you're like starting to shake and you get nervous. And, you know, it's like, after you do that a bunch of times, you learn how to control yourself. And, and so, again, it's like the more times you do it, the better you get, the more available you are to take advantage of those opportunities. And the next time you pull back on that deer, you're going to be rock solid because your mind is like, now I know what I'm doing. And that Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right. 
and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com That is practice, man. That's the only way to get there. It it absolutely is. Um, I mean, I don't know. This sounds kind of funny to say, but like a state of continual readiness um, that will serve you very well when you're in the outdoors. Um, It's a lifestyle adoption, to say the least. Yeah. And it it can be a little exhausting too. I mean, you, you got to be careful, but at the same time, I mean, you, again, you, 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 the capacity that we have to be exhausted and to be in wild and places or in the city for that matter, there, there are things that we can learn to do. And I think people in my experience, um, a lot of times we, we just don't really realize how powerful we really are until we're put in situations to like stretch our mind a little bit, get stressed out you know, and, and find new places in our head to be. And, and it's like, yeah, like you go, it's sort of like when you go on that elk hunt and you're gone, let's say you went on that elk hunt and you were gone for six or 10 or days or whatever it was. And you're in the mountains and it's cold in the morning and it's maybe a little warm in the afternoon. But when you come back to civilization, your body is ready to be back in the mountains. You already are like, it's like, man, I, I'm not cold down here. (laughs) <laughs> like I was up there wearing a jacket and I was a little cold, but then you get down to some other place. You're like out of the bush and all of a sudden you're going, man, what are all these guys doing wearing jackets? <laughs> so, man, I just can't say, I mean, I can't put enough emphasis on just pushing yourself a little bit and turns out you grow a lot from that. Absolutely. So I'm looking, looking through your Instagram here and, and you know, checking out a lot of the photos and you have what I love about it is the variety. You have photos here of, of hunts. You have just photos of the animals themselves. You've got, um, you know, landscape, some architecture photography. You've got uh, some awesome just, you know, rodeo roping photos here, some fly fishing. Like, it's such such a variety of of photos. Do you have... Are you are you particular to anything? Do you have do you have a favorite? Do you prefer photographing hunters, just the animals themselves? I know everything kind of presents its own unique challenge. You know, um, I I I don't have a preference anymore. I used to, you know, I used to really like like if you let's put it into categories. Like if it's wildlife, you know, I mean, I'm really I, I love mule deer and I love sheep. Those would be my big two like wildlife species if I could just shoot that. But if you go and just look at another channel, let's say it's it's humans, um, you know, I, I think and I'm going to be really honest about this right now, which is photographing. Um, I always wanted to photograph people like it was always in my mind that I really wanted to learn how to photograph people because I'm not good at very good at like introducing myself to people just on the street, you know, <laughs> just like. I think you're cool and I really want to take your picture. And, you know, I always felt like I was, I had to make up an excuse for it. You know, like I'm not some big, you know, hot shot guy doing some big, you know, global project. I'm just a guy who thinks you're cool. I want to take your picture. And, um, and so I think for my wildlife and for a lot of stuff I do, I kind of unable to hide behind that. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's not really, uh, it's not, it's safe. Right. It's really safe because, 
I'm out there with say photographing elk or deer or sheep or whatever. And it's just the light and it's me and it's my understanding of those species. And, and I, and I, I can't emphasize that enough learning about your, your, your quarry, whether it's to hunt them or photograph them, super important, but it's kind of safe. It's like, if you screw up, like what's going to happen? Like the elk's going to run off or they're not going to laugh at you. And they're not going to, you know, they're not going to make fun of your camera or they're not going to, there's no judgment, man. It's like either did good or you didn't, and you got your own time frame. And so I really like people photography. If, you know, if I'd love to, to explore that even more. And for the last number of years now, I've done way more of that. Um, I think probably the majority of my business now is photographing people, um, whether they're, you know, whether it's for a project or whether it's a hunt or whether it's, a, you know, a, a story, you know, some of that stuff I did in Africa. And I'll be going back to work on this story some more of, you know, the anti-poaching teams and, and some of the people who are trying to survive in remote parts of Africa. Um, you know, it's not just because they're, they're African people. It's, it's because they have, they all have a story and they're all unique. And so, you know, I love photographing people. I love photographing on the fly. You know, I've done a lot of setup stuff. You know, one thing people don't know about me is, uh, as far as photo photography is, um, you know, I do some other photography last for a year. So a year and a half, I was a campaign photographer as well. So there's a little bit of mix in there with, with, um, politics and, and photography. And, you know, I got to photograph Pearl Jam, um, in that experience, I got to photograph some other really cool people and hang out with them, you know, and, and that's, you know, to me, those opportunities, like if you can situate yourself to get in an opportunity to explore new things and using the camera as the tool to do it, that's where I get like, it's exhausting, but it's where I'm, I think I'm the best human I can be is when I'm trying to tell stories about people or things. And, you know, if I could just do that from now on and, and add a little bit of environment in that, you know, the conservation side is probably, it's another big channel. It's the third sort of leg of that photography stool which is I often do every summer and sometimes in the winter some rather large projects where I'm hired to go out and photograph these amazing places and go where people don't go and bring back images of those places for for their use in conserving them or protecting them or you know showing people hey yeah there are reasons that these places need protection and so that's kind of another part of that. And, and, you know, it's easy to connect that conservation legacy that we have in America with a human. And so that's really where I want to be doing some more work is those people that are out there on the ground, you know, whether it's a rancher, whether it's a fisherman, whether it's a environmental guy, whether it's, you know, a woman who's growing a garden, like those people are interacting with their place. That's where I like to be. I really think that uh, an easy thing to forget is the role that photography has in conservation and in promoting all these wild places is because, you know, so many people in this world would have no idea they exist would, you know, how many people actually go to some, some of these incredible remote places? So few of them compared to the amount of, of support they get, I think. Um, and a lot of that has to do with uh, people like yourself that share these amazing wild places and inspire people and 
yeah, someone someone may never visit uh, Glacier National Park or um, some remote river that's just running through the forest uh, in the middle of Idaho. Mm-hmm. You know, places that only a handful of people will ever see, but thousands and thousands of people are inspired to protect those places. Um, it's a... It's a very, very important tool for conservation, I think. Uh, On that note, we're going to take a quick break, hear a word from one of my partners. All right, y'all. We all know that it's possible to get into the backcountry and take that big buck or bull with a set of surplus store camo and a Walmart tent. But let's face it, quality gear can often make the difference between checking out early due to sheer misery and pushing through just a little bit further to find success. But all this gear can start to add up, and that's why I'd recommend shopping at Black Ovis. They carry high-performance hunting gear from all the top brands like Vortex, Crispy, Sitka, First Light, Mountain Ops, and Stone Glacier, often at a nicely discounted rate. I've yet to find anywhere that offers a more reasonable price, plus their shipping is free and their customer service is unmatched. Additionally, by making the choice to shop at Black Ovis, you're supporting a company that's involved in and gives back to the hunting community. It's where I do all my gear shopping, and whether you're just looking to replace a few items or build out a brand new kit, Black Ovis is the one-stop shop for super solid hunting gear. Additionally, you can help support Living Country in the City by doing all your gear shopping at Black Ovis. Visit livingcountryinthecity.com slash blackovis, bookmark the link, and use it whenever you do your shopping. Something that's important right now, I think, is just this, the concept of, you know, how we portray ourselves as conservationists, as hunters and as humans in this world. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of controversy around it, uh, um, um, remarkably, actually. I'm quite surprised that um, there is, but there really is. And it's coming on in, in large part because because of the Internet, because of Instagram, because of social media, people are able to um, instantly react to a situation and put it out for the masses to see. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's a good thing. And sometimes it's not such a good thing. Um, so for example, as hunters, um, I feel strongly. And in, in if you look at my Instagram feed and you look at my online presence is, is, is broad as it is. Um, I don't make my personal life very open to the universe and my hunting life in particular. I don't put grip and grin photos up on the internet. I don't show myself in, yeah, with dead animals very often. And even on my Instagram, I might show an occasional um, image of somebody with a dead animal. And I'm not saying you shouldn't show images of dead animals. What I'm saying is we need to be thoughtful about that. If there's one area where I think we can really sort of improve our image on, and that's how we treat wildlife in terms of, of killing, in terms of trapping, in particular trapping, you know, I've seen a lot of stuff on the internet of people who will just video an animal in a trap or something who's obviously scared. I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not against trapping, but I don't think it's smart for us to, for people to go out and just, you know, put what most of the universe thinks is, is a, is a zoo animal fighting for its life in a trap and then put that out on the internet so people can see that. And it just aggravates most people. Mm -hmm. And we have context for that. I do. I know trappers. I've trapped. I've hunted. I have some framework for that. But most people see um, maybe a bobcat or a coyote or a wolf in a zoo. So their mind is like set up to accept 
those animals as being wild, but also as animals that they've built a relationship with in a zoo. And, and I just feel, you know, it's the same reason I think generally you don't want to put photos of dead zoo animals. Like in Africa, you know, zebras um, are, are tough species to do. Um, look at um, giraffes. You know, giraffes are like an amazing creature and they're hunted. But, you know, it's like people associate giraffes with the zoo, man. And so just be careful. That's what I'm saying. It's just be tasteful about it. You can record your hunt. You can, you can embellish in that a little bit, but I think right now, you know, I think we're losing ground in some ways. And, and what's important about that is conservation, hunting, the relationship between hunting historically in the United States and conservation is very tied together. You know, we spend the money to do it. We like to protect habitat, but at the same time, it's, I just feel like you got to be a little careful about just shoving, shoving the gore, if you want to call it that, in people's face because they're not used to it. The population at large is not okay with people, you know, acting like they're um, having glee in taking lives. And again, I don't, I don't want people to think that, you know, somehow I'm not um, supportive of people killing because that's totally not true. I just feel like we need to be careful about how we present ourselves. We don't need any help, you know, and, and one thing I've noticed, I just read an article from the New York Times just this morning. A woman wrote about this guy who owns a restaurant or he's a chef and he and his wife decided they wanted to be be more connected to their food than, than they have ever been. And so they started hunting. They started hunting waterfowl, some big game animals, and all in an effort to eat the food they kill. And there is a movement right now of those younger folks who, who've really decided, you know what, um, I'm going to do that. I'm going to try and kill. I'm not going after big antlers. I'm not going to spend $50,000 on this monster hunt. I'm going to figure out where I can hunt in my local community. I'm going to kill some birds, uh, some waterfowl. I'm going to maybe hunt a deer or a rabbit or a squirrel and learn how to eat it. And that is really impressive to me. I think that is, it might be the thing that helps sort of save our hunting community when <laughs> you actually have thoughtful people out there making good decisions and still they're in the same community. They're hunting. I mean, we, I don't separate them from me, but what they're doing is telling their story in a rich way. You know, they're really actually telling a complete story. It's not just the only thing you see is, well, here's me with this dead animal. No, they're, they're actually in, involved in the whole thing. And I think to me, telling that story uh, about, you can, you can tell a story about a place, but you can also tell a story about an experience. And when you have the story together, it makes a lot more sense to people than just, you know, throwing up a photo of, you know, 12 guys standing behind a dead animal. You take those photos. You do. I do. I take them. I photograph them. I photograph people who have killed animals, but what I present to the universe is stuff that's that that I think the population can can handle, and there's a story behind it. I don't. Um, I, I think that's enough said about it. But that's an important aspect of this to me: is how are we presenting ourselves? What story are we telling with our imagery? Um, and I think we have to be careful about that. And you know, there's there's people on the other side of this thing who 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 will tear me apart and just say, "Oh, you." you know, you're just a wuss, you know, we should be able to do whatever we want. And we're not going to let the anti-hunters tell us what to do. 
and I don't feel like they're telling me what to do. I've always been in this lane. I'm doing mm-hmm. my thing. I've done my thing. Since I started like the, I, the reason there aren't a hundred pictures of me with dead animals on the internet is because I didn't put them there. <laughs> that was a choice I you know, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago to just not do that. This is private, man. This is my thing. And so, so I think for me, it's not, I'm not afraid of, of, of getting flack for it, but I'm in my lane and that's the way I've always been. And that's the way I want to do. This is about humans and about their landscapes, about wildlife. And it's about telling rich stories about, you know, how we can operate as a human population, 8 billion people on earth, ever, ever increasing populations with shrinking opportunity for wild and for wildlife. And to me, the goal is to try to protect that remaining habitat, make sure we have opportunities to hunt and fish. We have clean water and clean air. I mean, if we can maintain that system, like we're good to go for a long time, but you know, if we don't do those things, um, you know, you're going to be like, you're going to be seeing pictures of people with chickens in their hands. Cause that's all they got. It's like, mm-hmm. I grew a chicken and I'm going to kill it. So here's my, here's my picture. You know, there isn't going to be wildlife. And I fear that time, you know, we, the United States is really, I think the showcase uh, of just about the world when it comes to how we manage wildlife. And so I want to maintain that legacy and, and I hope other people can join in on that, in that effort. No, absolutely. And, it's you know it's funny I, I I talk about this a lot. I was actually uh, just chatting with the guys over at Modern Huntsman about this. Um, it's just there you know you like you said you've got that kind of old guard go down with the ship hunter that that's very much like I I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do and damn them all and that kind of a thing and you know okay that's great when. <laughs> you only got a few years of hunting left, but there's the rest of us that want to see all of this thrive. And, you know, our, our one, a little bit looking out for ourselves, we got a lot of years of hunting left. And two, um, you know, it's a, it's a thing I got. It's funny. You know, I got the word, you know, we got video here. Everybody's listening. Can't see it, but you know, I can't, don't know if you can see it, but I got the word posterity tattooed on my Mm -hmm. arm as a reminder of, of, you know, why we do things. And, um, it's, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's a a funny thing. I mean, are there, I, I, I just recently took a javelina, my first javelina, uh, only my second ever tag filled second big game. Uh, I get, I guess they're technically kind of considered big game. I don't know. Um, mid, mid sized game. (laughs) Um, but, uh, you know, the second animal I've ever harvested, or third, I guess, if you count uh, the fox, but I took a shot, um, and, it, you know, it was a good shot. It was a little bit further back, so it, it didn't it didn't drop immediately. It went up into some bushes, and, and we moved in on it, and, um, you know, it, it was laid down, and I made the choice to take a second shot on it uh, just because I wanted to be as ethical and, and have it go down as quickly as possible. Um, and my buddy who was there with me, uh, helped me find it in the bushes. Uh, he videoed that second shot and it was, I mean, it was, it was an awesome video. It's the first time I've ever gotten anything like that, uh, on camera. And, you know, it, at the end, it kind of catches my emotions and, and all of that. But 
the whole time in the background, you kind of see it was a good shot, but the you see the javelina kind of flopping around a bit. Yeah. And I, I was getting ready to post that video and I watched it a couple of times and I'm just the whole time my eye is and just for me, my eye is going straight to that javelina in the background. And mm-hmm. you know, it was a it was a quick kill from the first shot to the second shot to the time it expired. It was it was not very long at all. And it was ethically done. Um but all I could see in that entire video was that Havelina flopping around, and I'm like, that is not the image I want to put out there. Um, yeah. And and so, you know, I just chose to keep that video on my phone, keep it for myself. You know, I've watched it a couple of times just to remember that experience, because I personally understand, and my buddy who took that video understands what it means, what it was, um, yeah. and and those feelings for me. But I know, I don't know who else is going to be seeing that. And and while I try and present as much of the story as possible, I am not able to ensure that everyone's going to take that in. And even somebody's just not going to grab that video and zoom in on the animal flopping around in the background. And this is why you shouldn't hunt, or this is why you shouldn't bow hunt because you're torturing an animal. I'm like, no, it's not. Sure. You know. And it so it uh, it's. It's not an easy thing to do all the time. You have to be very, you have to analyze with with different lenses necessarily than you're going to look at something. You have to analyze what you're putting out there and, and people forget that because it's not, it's work. It is work to do that. Um, and yeah, I don't like that we have to put out extra work to to do this, but it's it's important enough. So it was just, it was, you know, it, it kind of, as you're talking about it, it made me think of that. And I, uh, you know, I do still enjoy watching that video, but you know, that's, that's what it is for me. It's a memory now. It's not something that I need to put out there and promote. Yeah. I guess the, the question is really, you know, what is the purpose, right? What is the purpose? And, and I, I like to, you know, I, in my business and in my life, I like to, to think that I have purpose and goals and that sort of thing. And, you know, and I try to filter a lot of stuff through that, both because I have a reputation, but also because, you know, I have ethics and morals and, and I try to understand like what, what would be the purpose of doing, you know, say putting the, the clip of a, of a, of a javelina as it's expiring and fighting for it's maybe it's last breast. It might even be dead already. I mean, that's the one thing. A lot of times these animals, they, they're sort of like walking dead, right? Mm-hmm. They don't know it yet, but pretty snakes are out and they're no surviving. They're going to die. Some kick harder, some kick less. I mean, they, so, but, but you ask yourself, like for the audience generally on the internet, who, if you put it in a public space, anybody can see it. What, what would, what am I trying to, what's the message? You know, what's the point? And if, if the point is really just sort of shock and awe, or I don't know, maybe it is, I, I just don't know what your perspective is, but it sounds like you looked at it and said, you know, I don't really see the point in doing this. I see this as, a, as, a, as something that I can uh, review, someone else, my friend or something could look at it, it tells me the story, it reminds me of the story, but, you know, I don't know what the point would be. And so if we're careful about this, it's kind of like taking photographs, you know, when one of the ways I, if I like if I talk to people about how to improve their craft or what, what can make a better photograph, 
you know, I try to have people just think about what's the purpose, what's the point of the photograph, and pick pick something, pick an idea, pick a piece of the image, pick something in the landscape, but try to think about why you're taking that photograph, and it will improve your craft by just going through that process in the same way as posting a video. You know, what what am I trying to accomplish here? And, you know, there, there are avenues if you want to share that somewhere. There's some private places where you might be able to do that. But at the same time, you know, I just don't have the time. It's like, <laughs> I, I got to move on. I got, I got people that want to do stuff. And so, anyway, good story. You know, I, um, what's the story with your, your, with your tattoo again? I, I don't, I didn't quite get to the, I don't think you wrapped that up enough. I want to oh. know what that's all about. So, uh, I have, uh, across my arm, uh, it's a tattoo. It says "Posterity." It actually has a brown best musket on it, and it um, it has come to mean more to me now and be more of a reminder than it was when I originally got it. But it's from a, a John Adams quote. Um, he was writing a letter to his wife Abigail, and you know you can go uh, actually read these letters; they're preserved and saved. Um, but uh, Midway through the letter, you know, he's writing to his wife, Abigail, and midway through the letter, he changes the uh, the address in the letter, uh, and, and he begins addressing posterity, and he says, Posterity, you will never know what it costs the present generation to preserve your freedoms. I pray that you will make good use of it. If you do not, I would repent in heaven that I ever took half of the pains to preserve it. And, you know, I just, I loved that quote. It was... um it was a reminder for me at the time I was teaching, uh, it was a, it was like a weekend rifle marksmanship clinic, like a precision marksmanship clinic. And we would tie in, uh, uh, stories and history with this kind of throughout the whole thing. And, and, uh, so it was educational from that aspect as well. And, uh, that's, you know, where I learned that quote and, uh, I really kind of internalized it and, um, ended up, you know, now it's a whole tattoo sleeve, but it used to just be that one, one word, uh, you know, posterity with the rifle underneath. And, but it's just a reminder of there's, uh, that there is more, more than just what we're taking in, you know, it's a reminder to always make sure we're leaving something for the next generation. And, you know, posterity, most people take it just to mean, you know, your kids and stuff like that. And, um, but really it's it's in a reference to what you're leaving for you know for for everyone that is to come and i think it's just it's an important reminder um for me so that's that's a little bit of the meaning behind the posterity tattoo on on the forearm yeah nice that's pretty nice i mean it sounds like that's a tenant you know one of your tenants now it's like for forever it's almost the filter right like the filter it's so important to me the filter is on my I've tattooed it on my arm. I can remember it, but it's a filter now from here on out that you sort of like use that as a, a mechanism by which you, you gauge or measure what you're doing in this world. Right. Um, that's pretty powerful. You know, I, I, I respect that. I think it's pretty cool. I'm not a tattoo guy. I just, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of like really infatuated in some ways by the whole concept, you know, like I don't, I don't get it, but I'm okay with it because people have their, it's just cool. It's art. It's what it is. But, you know, I'm always interested, like, and, and it's kind of funny. It's one of those things where, you know, you don't, 
it, it's like people don't want to be noticed a lot of times like is humans we just kind of want to live our lives and some people want to be noticed like celebrities more than others but it's like if you're sitting down next to this big dude in an airport or something and you're going somewhere and he's got all these tattoos and you're like he's got a you know t-shirt on and and he's sitting there and you're like i'm always the guy that's going what is all that like what is the <laughs> meaning behind it? right but i'm not the guy that goes over and says hey dude why don't you, can you tell me a little bit about what you got going on here? Cause I always feel like I'm intruding, but on the other hand, I feel like if a guy's sitting there with all these tattoos and he's wearing a t-shirt, like he's, he's got his space, but he's almost advertising that he wants to be talked to. Cause right. Cause there's a message there. You're sending a message to people when you're like that, but I'm always like nervous. Like I don't want to get in his <laughs> space, but I'm always interested in like, like there's a story. Those, those tattoos these days that most people have, have really personal stories. And to me, that's what I like about interacting with people is what is your story? You know, whether it's, you know, I travel around so much and when I come back, you know, people ask me, well, you know, what do you like to hunt? What's your favorite species or where do you really want to go? And it's like, um, I'm a mountain guy. So naturally I just really love mountains, but the real, the real essence of it to me is the, is the people. You know, and when I go to these places, I like to spend time with the people. You know, it's. It, I remember when I first started doing this international stuff, I'm kind of a homegrown guy where if you went on an elk hunt when I was 15, there's eight or six guys or whatever in your, your family mostly, maybe a couple friends, and you all set off into the mountain to try to shoot an elk. And it's like everybody shares in that. And then they share in the animal when it's dead. They share in the pack and the meat. They share in the, the story. They share in getting the ticks on you. They share. It's all a shared experience. And when I started doing international hunting, in a lot of places, the people uh, who are working at a concession or the people who are there to help move animals and that sort of thing, they're, they're almost not necessarily part of the story. They are, but they don't get any of the the um the notoriety or the respect they earn or so like so like the guy you go to dinner you know and like the the bush guys who are there your trackers and your meat guys they're they're doing their own thing you know they're like off with their family in their house uh having their dinner while you're over here with the other hunters having your dinner that's kind of the the um the culture but i want to go spend at least a night or two you know, in their universe, even if we can't speak the same language, like, what are those guys doing? You know, what are they up to? How do they live their lives? And, and it, what's, what's neat about it is in every case, wherever I've been, the, those guys are so well connected to their universe, to their land, to their animals, to their people. And it's like, they're so happy. Hunting, hunters are happy people in general. Like when you go hunting around the world, you seldom end up in a situation where people are frowning a lot. They're just like enjoying to be outside. They're enjoying each other's company and being around other people who, who, you know, share similar values. And so again, it goes back to the people for me. And I, I'm just um, always excited to learn more about what people's what, what's going on. But at the same time, I feel like I'm pushy. If I ask, it's like, Hey man, what's that tattoo? They're like, what difference does it make, dude? You know, and like, I don't want that reaction, but I feel like I'm going to get it. So I'm real careful. Eh? <laughs> it's, it's one of those things too. And I, I think there's a big difference between, like you said, the, the dude that's got, that's literally got, a, you know, full sleeves and, and is wearing a, wearing a tank top or a t-shirt or something. There's a difference between that guy and then maybe the person 
you know, who who kind of just has it peeking out under the sleeves or something, or maybe, you know, you catch a glimpse of, of, of something on his shoulders, he's reaching for it. I think there's a big difference between those two people, you know, as far as the stories they're trying to tell, you know, because cause there there's, I think, three different categories of people that get tattoos generally. There's the... I mean, there's the people that just have a few too many beers and, and get, you know, something <laughs> bizarre tattooed on their chest or, you know, a, a butterfly on the small of their back and not meaning to talk down on anyone that has a butterfly tattoo on the small of their back. But come on, we know the story. Um, you know, there's there's that that group of people, but then you have... You have the people that'll get something that's very personal to them and is is for them. And, you know, maybe it's a, a portrait of a loved one, you know, on uh, on their shoulder blade or, uh, you know, a you know, whatever it is. It could be three stars that that is is representative of something in their life. And and it's it's hidden. It's under their, you know, a spot where their hair normally hides it or under their shirt or whatever whatever that is that's their meaning and then there's then there's the other people that it's like they have a a bible verse like i've got a bible verse across my arm uh, on my other arm i've got the big posterity and it's bold and it's out there and you know you, you can't really honestly say that the giant tattoo on your forearm unless you wear long sleeve shirts all day every day you can't honestly say that tattoo is just for yourself and it's a wholly personal thing (laughs) no you're making a statement uh it may be subconscious you may have convinced yourself that it's just for you but you're making a statement with it and um i mean just like anything else just like we've been talking about so so you're okay if if somebody says to you uh, you're sitting in the airport hey i I noticed you got that tattoo what is it okay to ask you what the story is or are you like hey man that's personal Oh no! I give him the middle finger and say, "Ben, no, I just, I, uh, no, I don't. I mean, I don't care. I mean, the only time I'm like, oh, okay, here we go, uh, is like if I'm in a rush somewhere and or you know I'm I'm trying to get something done and I'm just kind of in my own space. But I will, you know, I mean, yeah, I've got, like I said, I've got Bible verses on one arm. Uh, you know, I've got a giant, bright, colorful tattoo uh, sleeve on the other arm, and. I actually, you notice the signs after a while, after you've had it for a while, you'll notice, you'll be like standing in line at the coffee shop or something. And you'll see that person that's kind of like, they kind of got their head turned a little bit sideways and you can tell they're like looking at you, catch them out of the corner of your eye, the little movement, you know, their heads turned a little bit sideways and, and they're just staring for a little bit and you can almost count it down. You're like, okay, three, two, Hey, uh, (laughs) what what is that? Uh, you know, what's that say right there? I hope you don't mind my asking. I'm like, there it is. Um, and it's, it's funny, you know, it kind of makes me smile. And, and like I said, this stuff's important to me. So I like sharing it. I like telling the story behind it, you know? Right. It's a story. That's what it is. It's like a canvas, man. You're walking around with it. It's not, you know, what we used to put that stuff down in notebooks and shove them in our back pocket. People are putting that stuff on their bodies and walking around, you know, I, I'm interested in it. I mean, and there's this, you know, I don't even know how we got into this, but it's kind of interesting. Um, there's a, there's a, there's a culture of people and a, and a language in, in tattoos that is real. I don't understand it. I don't know what the language is, but I notice, you know, when I go around the country, at least in the U S it's not so prevalent in other parts of the world as it is here now, but like there's similar art 
on multiple people that don't even know each other. And you're just like, wait a minute. I think I saw that same sort of art on two other guys. And I'm pretty sure they didn't talk about that tattoo before they got it. <laughs> like, how come they have the same art in the same place? It's almost like they're, they have a story that they know about together. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. But they don't even know each other. You know, like, that's amazing to me. Like, there's this... I, I mean, I just think it's cool, and I guess I should shut up about it, but it's cool. <laughs> this is it. Well, this is what I love about podcasts. We can talk about whatever we want, as long as we want. You know, it is what it is, um, and you guys all have to listen. Uh, you know, if people don't like it, they can uh, they can skip to the next one. But, um, yeah, no, I got, you know, I love them, and I'll admit they're addicting, and you get to a certain point where you're kind of covered now, and and... I've got I've got more tattoo ideas I'm sure than I have skin at this point and uh you know it's it's one of those things to where it, you get to a certain point where you still want to get those tattoos that are super meaningful to you but it's also uh, not as big of a deal sometimes and I'll admit there's been a couple of times where I've looked at something I'm like I really want to get that as a tattoo and like, I mean, I, I, you know, once again, story, uh, I, I work for a company that runs music festivals and, um, we don't allow a lot of people try to try to bring drones to the festival, like little flying drones to take shots. And we don't allow that one for security and safety reasons to, uh, just because we run our own and they interfere with each other, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, so we were looking at just different options for, uh, for ways to prevent people from flying drones over the festival. And sure. somebody found uh, somebody found this company, or it was a YouTube video or something, but I guess this company trains bald eagles to destroy drones. They, like, do some crazy maneuver where they grab the drone and flip it upside down, and it's a whole thing. And I'm like, that is the most, like, badass american thing in the world and i i just became obsessed with the idea i watched a bunch of these videos and then like always in the back of my head i'm like one of these days i'm gonna have maybe one too many beers and and be at a tattoo parlor and end up with a a tattoo of a bald eagle like it's in my head it's this majestic bald eagle and it's got this drone in its talons and it's breaking it in half with explosions in the background and one of these days that just might accidentally happen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you never know, but well, it's symbolic. There's a lot of symbolism there too. I mean, that's the thing that, that story is big, right? <laughs> and it's going to get bigger. It's uh, it's one of those things where I probably, probably wouldn't make an appointment to go do that, but you never know when it's going to happen. Anyway. <laughs> good. So, you know, with all this time you spend out, uh, photographing if you had to make the choice um 
if uh, if you basically, I, I I feel like you've probably been asked this before. If you had to make the choice between uh, going out and photographing other people's hunts and wildlife for the rest of your life versus uh, being able to go out on your own hunts, if you had to pick one or the other to finish things out, um, what would you what would you choose? Um. Well, uh, I would I would um, continue with my photography over continuing to hunt. And because one reason is because if, if I'm allowed to continue to go on hunting trips with other people and photograph their hunts and photograph the wildlife that is present when I'm on those hunts, I feel like I'm, that's kind of like my life is right now. eh? I don't get it. I don't hunt nearly as much as I used to. Like, you know, and my hunting was always so private anyway. So I go by myself 90% of the time. And I feel like I, if I'm allowed to be on a, a good number of hunts, you know, it turns my, what was once, you know, days and days of my own hunting into, you know, weeks and months of hunting in other parts of the world and inter- meeting new people and new experiences. So I would, I would stop hunting if I could keep photographing hunts and and totally it doesn't mean i don't love to hunt but um that's just how important it is to me to you know put myself in a place where i know if i'm in that place of being the photographer that i want to be it almost gives me more enjoyment than just about anything else i mean i'm not talking about my kids right now i'm not saying they're not important or that my my family life isn't critical to me because it is but when it comes to my work and my craft, you know, I can't get it. I can't get the satisfaction I get doing that any other way. And it exceeds the satisfaction I get by killing an animal. I still eat wild meat, not enough. You know, I can still get it. I have tons of friends that have plenty of meat. If I'm ever short and I don't have something, I can get an elk steak or I can get a, you know, a roast here or ducks or whatever. So I can still have access to some meat if I don't kill my own animal. So all told, yeah, I, I'm going to be a photographer. Um, it'll, I'll probably never retire from it at some level. It is a little bit aggravating, though. I do take breaks where I don't look at cameras or touch them or take them with me. Even even some people, my mother, you know, good grief. She always wants pictures of everything, the kids, you know, and this and that. It's like, oh, we're going on this really cool trip. You know, the kids and I, we're all going down this river and we're going to spend four or five days in the bush. And, oh, well, make sure and send pictures. And I'm like, I'm not even taking a camera, right? There are times when I just go, no, it ain't. It, I love the idea, mom, but, like, I got to take a break once in a while, you know, and just observe because – I get so focused with a camera that I can't do both. I can't hunt and photograph. I have to choose one or the other. I'm pretty intense. Like when you're hired to be a photographer, you have a job to do. And I'm pretty focused on that. It's a mission. And and so it's hard for me to go back and forth. You know, I can't be like, oh, I'm going to go hunting. And then, oh, I'm going to whip out my camera. And like, I'm just, or I'm going to go on this trip with my kids and, and totally make them models for four days they really get tired of that too eh? like they don't always want to be in camera too and so i'm sensitive to that but uh i'll be a photographer until you know either until i can't see anymore or i can't pick up a camera or i'm unable to you know the biggest fear i have in my life 
right now isn't competition from other photographers. It isn't that the next guy is going to beat me in a job or I'm not going to have any more work. It's that I'm going to get to the point where I can't climb the mountain anymore. That's the point where things change. And I know enough about my life and about the world and about, you know, imagery that I'll choose something else to take a photograph of because I'm not giving that up. But at the same time, that's the biggest fear I have when it comes to my craft is there will be a day when somebody says to me, Tony, you know, you've done it great for 20 years, but I got to get this 25 year old guy here because he can run circles around us and get images that you can't get anymore because you're too damn slow. You're too fat or, you know, so that scares me, man. But until that happens, I'm just going to keep, you know, pushing. I I like to say, you know, trails are for hikers and I'm an explorer and that's nothing against hiking on a trail. It's just what I'm trying to do is, is get beyond the path. You know, I'm trying to get to where I'm in a space and where I can be in a space that's really kind of my own. And yet I'm working with other people and learning new things about the world and, and that's what that's what motivates me. You know, it's funny. You, you know, I there's one one interesting thing I kind of realized. Uh, you know, I bought uh, this last year. I bought my first uh, since college. My first uh, really high quality DSLR, and it started kind of refreshing uh, my college photography classes in my brain and remembering. Uh, what ISO does and and all of that good stuff. Um, but I, uh, you know, I went on a road trip and I I met up with some people and you know I just took a, a lot of photos and I was out uh, with my buddy who I actually ended up going out on a uh, an elk hunt with this year uh, this last year in Colorado. But um, I was out with my buddy Kelvin and we were uh, he was kind of showing me his pack llamas and we went out on a pack llama hike and I was getting a bunch of photos. And as a photographer, you probably, you pretty much hike for every, you know, yard they hike, you hike two to three because you're, yeah, you're behind them and then you need to be ahead of them. And then, uh, you're back to the side and you know, you're, you're basically literally running circles around them, trying to get the right angle, working with the lighting, getting that cool tree in the background or that Vista, you know, that they're overlooking, uh, getting the right angle. You're running down the hill to get that cool uphill angle with the sky in the background of yeah. them. And so you're, you know, running literal circles around them and you, you're not exactly not carrying any weight yourself. You know, you've got gear, you've got everything too. It's, it's a, it's work. I, I developed a very new admiration for hunting photographers in that moment. Yeah. No doubt about it. I mean, you got to cover a lot of ground. And as you as you develop, you get, you know, you get a style maybe or you get hone in on a couple things that that, you know, you can you can cover less miles because you've got more ideas that will work that, you know, will work. And so you're not sort of exploring as much. But at the same time, um, I can look at a place and I can look at uh, a, a, a unique you know landscape where we're going to be active and probably pick you know, real quickly where I need to be and when I need to be there, uh, the challenge is, is actually doing it and then being able to say, well, as cool as that is, nobody's going to want to participate in that activity. So you still got to keep it real, right? It's like, <laughs> oh, wouldn't it be cool? And that's the one thing about uh, hunting photography is some of it's embellished, you know, 
some of it's like, well, we got to have some ice cream in this. Like we can't, you know, a real hunt for elk, you know, you're in the trees all the time. You might be sitting up on a, a little knoll, but how often are you really on a ridge going, here I am, you know, <laughs> with this big backdrop, you know, and you're like, well, I'm elk hunting. And I just told every elk and mule deer and freaking rabbit and bird and everything in the country that I'm up here. And so some of it is like, okay, well, let's, let's save that for the end or let's try and do that when we're going to cross that ridge or something. But yeah, it, there's a lot of planning involved and understanding light and time and, and activity. And, and, and really when you're working with other people, you got to understand their limitations. I mean, cause I'm always like, God, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't we do It's like, well, yeah, but we're hunting. <laughs> oh yeah. That's right. you know, we're still hunting. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, um... there's, a, there's a gift there that, that, you have to you have to be flexible man you can't just go out and push the boundaries every day so uh maybe with uh, with our eyes on on sort of some of these western mountain hunts because i know you've also done just i mean so much as you said abroad and so many i'm sure meeting so many unique and interesting people abroad but maybe with an eye on some of these more western hunts um do you have any kind of any ones that stick out or any unique or exciting stories from some that you may have gone on and photographed? Yeah. I mean, I could, uh, they're all, they're all unique. I know that's cliche too, but they really are. But you know, one, some of the ones I can think of like, you know, the Alaska is always just an amazing situation because it's, it is really remote in most cases. And you're really kind of on your own when you're up in Alaska and so that that's pretty unique. But I think w- one of my favorite hunts was in um, was in central Alberta for for bighorn sheep. Um, one, because I like the environment Two because I love horses. Three, because I like the guys that are around that lifestyle. I mean, it's all it's everything I want and enjoy all packaged into one space. You know, ride a horse into a valley, into a basin, get off, hike around up into the ridges and saddles look at animals i mean those those kind of hunts to me are are so precious because you you it's almost like you just sit back sometimes and you go wait a minute i'm getting paid to do this like i would do this anyway right <laughs> I, if i had a chance i would pack my own up this hill to do my own thing but here's an opportunity i i'm just so blessed you know so those mountain hunts in particular bighorn sheep um because of the places they live man and the people that go do that you know those real hardcore you know this is not you know road hunting this is back in the wild parts of the country you're going to be you're going to encounter wolves you're going to encounter uh uh grizzly bears you know when that when that hunt we probably saw day to day we saw more grizzly bears than we saw sheep we could shoot at you know so you're always you know in those situations where you're going to have to deal with, you know, we're going to have to deal with um, grizzly bears. And and if you've not done that before, go with someone who has, number one. But but it changes the way you look at your own life and the way that you look at the environment. When you're sleeping with one eye open and you're trying to get rest, you're completely exhausted. You've done five or six, 7,000 feet that day and covered eight or 10 miles. And you're just exhausted. But every little, like, noise at night or you know the brush moves or the horses make a funny sound and you think it's a mountain lion or it's a freaking grizzly bear you know like that changes kind of 
kind of your emotional state. It changes how you look at the world. And I'm, I'm grateful that we still have, you know, large carnivores in particular down in the lower 48, where literally you go, you know, if, if I go by myself on a, my own backpack hunt for mule deer, I'm kind of nervous all the time. Like you cannot shut it down, man. And by the time you're three or four days into it, you are so exhausted because you never shut down. Mm-hmm. And that's just got to be in grizzly country. You know, people might say, oh, well, you know, they're just around it. Well, they are just around, but I want to be alive when I get, you know, done with my hunt. I don't want to make any mistakes. Um, it, particularly if I have someone with me, I feel responsible for them. And so those hunts are the best for me where you've got lots of components, you've got great people and an, an incredible environment. And, um, if, you know, like I said, the, 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 the only thing that gets me down is thinking about the days when I won't be able to do it. But luckily I probably got a good 20 years of that left. I hope maybe it's not, but I'm going to keep pushing until, you know, it's over. eh? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Oh, uh, <laughs> so if, uh, people wanted to find you online, where, uh, where can they hunt you down? Yeah. So I, I, you know, Instagram, I'm not on, on it every day. Like sometimes I post once a day for a few days. Sometimes I'll go a week without putting anything up and, but hunt photos, um, at hunt photos. I'm on Twitter at Tony Bynum and my website, you know, um, my, my universe, I mean, really Tony Bynum.com, or if you just Google Tony Bynum, um, you'd come up and go to images, you know, on Google, Tony Bynum, click on images uh, you can see a lot of different things I've shot for all different kinds of uh, activities. But, um, you know, if people are interested, shoot me a message. We can talk, whatever. I'm good. Like, you know, a pretty open book. You know, I'll help anybody to, to achieve their goals if I can do it. You know, it's it's kind of funny. I um, I was talking with uh, an associate of mine and uh, I had, or an acquaintance of mine, and I, uh, I'm going to be doing a website for him. Um, and he is a he's a videographer, photographer for he does hunts and he does weddings. And so I was just looking up uh, just some inspiration for for both. I was looking at different websites and uh, I just typed in hunting photographer and uh, you were like the first three listings that showed up. And I just I just thought it was a funny coincidence that, uh, you know, we had had this scheduled and then uh, literally you're. Uh, and I hadn't, I hadn't like done any searches for you prior to this. You know, I mean, I've, I've been following you for a while and, uh, you know, I've seen your website before, but I hadn't done any searches. So it's just, I just thought it was like a funny coincidence that, and I thought you'd get a kick out of that knowing that, uh, you are like the first three listings when it comes to hunting photographer. Well, that's a, that's a story for a whole nother podcast because you know, as well as I do, that's not an accident. Yeah. Um, and, and there is some effort that goes into some of that, not as much as I used to, but it is an interesting story. And one that I think, um, we could talk about sometime. Cause I, I love that story. How does that work, man? And what's going on here and what's your strategy or, you know, how do you accomplish, you know, getting images to show up in different places? And like, it's not, it's not just like an accident, dude. And, and I don't pay for it either. It's just, you mm-hmm. know, it's like, you know how you know how it works you're you're a web guy oh yeah well yeah. we talked about that earlier it's like uh you know okay i i could totally nerd out and i've talked with a, a couple people on the podcast about this offline um it's just i could nerd out all day long on the business side of things and the technical side and 
whether, you know, whether it's project management or web design or how to run a business. And I have to be careful sometimes that I don't, I don't drop this podcast into suddenly, uh, you know, how to, how to start a business podcast or, you know, how to, how to brand stuff. And I've done a few episodes on, on that relating to hunting, but, uh, Sometimes it's a sometimes it's a struggle because I nerd out so much on that, but I don't think everyone is quite in that space. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I'll throw one more thing at you with with regard to where to, where to find me if you want to. You know, I've been on the the masthead and an editor for uh, Western Hunter Magazine for a long time, and I was doing some stuff for other other folks that I always do. I'm in all the magazines sooner or later, or has beens or will be kind of thing. But Western Hunter Magazine, I write a regular article in there about photography well it's like my instagram account sometimes i'll miss an uh, an issue you know where i won't write anything but sometimes you know like so if you're interested in in reading some of the things i write about when it comes to photography and mostly about the photography side a little bit about uh, the last thing i did it's just out yesterday or the day before in western hunter was uh you know lightroom and how to how to build a catalog and how to understand how to organize your photos and stuff um, but Western Hunter magazine is a great publication. Um, it's pretty authentic, man. Like the guys that are involved in it are good people. The editor, the, the senior editor of the magazine, Ryan Hatfield is a good friend of mine. He's an Idaho boy, salty guy, man. And, <laughs> and so if you, it's a real good magazine. If you like reading periodicals like that, you know, Western Hunter is a good one to choose. And, and I do, I think it's the only, it's the only regular hunting magazine that I know of that has a of a, a full section dedicated to photography and and that's my that's my gig that's awesome so i will make sure to link to uh link to all those places on the show notes page uh this is episode 93 so i will link to there at livingcountryinthecity.com slash 93 easy to remember um so as we're winding down here uh the one one thing I always like to end with is because this podcast, uh, I like to direct it at people that are either trying to get into hunting, get into the outdoors, whatever that means to them, or or people who aren't typically from traditional hunting backgrounds. Um, somebody came up to you and said, you know, at an expo or something, and said, "Hey, Tony, you know, I, uh, I you know, I've seen your photos, uh, or I've." I've uh, seen some of these hunts you photographed and I, I, I get really excited when I see them and I want, I want to get into that lifestyle, but I don't feel like I have the resources. I don't feel like I have the background. Um, you know, what encouragement or advice would you give uh, someone like that? You know, I, I start, start small, start local, you know, start with your friends, start with, um, you know, there's a difference between wanting to get an image published, you know, and then, and then just, you know, wanting to take photos. So there might be different strategies for that, but it's a matter of sort of like building a craft. Um, there's a, there's a book, I think if you want to get into photography, it's probably one of the best books you can possibly read. It's called, um, it's called the, and it's a digital version. Now this book's been out a long time, but they've updated it to the, to be a digital version. It's called light science and magic. And it's really a cross section of science and, um, examples of how to photograph um, different things. So, but what it really does is it helps you understand and learn about light and what can a camera sort of do with the light. And so, I think if I were to, you know, if if I were to give people a recommendation or or how do you start into it, 
you know, obviously you got to have a camera. You can use your phone. Study a little bit about light. You know, understand that a piece of chrome can look black or it can look completely white. Because when you're out taking pictures and you're looking at someone or you're looking at a certain landscape, the camera can only reproduce so much. It's not as good as, as our eyes are a lot of times. And it doesn't work like your brain. So you have to learn about what is it that a camera can really capture. And once you start down that path, then you can start to look at a subject and decide, well, you know, I really can't photograph that guy because there's so much light behind his head. He's going to be a black face and the light's going to be completely blown out behind him. So just learning a little bit about that process of light and then take that what you learning that you do and go with a friend and, and just start taking some photos you know if you like fishing reels take pictures of fishing reels if you like to go out and do a little hunting you know take the camera along and put your person in their environment the most important thing is in at the end of the photo shoot for for lack of a better term is did you put that person in the context of what they were doing and and that could be on a middle of a hunt, it could be cooking, it could be, you know, moving horses. But the idea is to try and show that person doing something in the environment that tells something about them. And so those would be my recommendations, you know, and, and it can be done anywhere. Hell, if it's not hunting, it could be fishing. If it's not fishing, it could be, you know, going, you know, I've always wanted to photograph um, secondhand stores and just go take pictures of stuff that has meaning to me as a kid. And, and like you could do it there. You could just, you know, like go out and start to put something together that has a story in it. And then if you want to move beyond that, you know, you got to start building relationships because this this business is all about relationships. It's all about people. And it's it's not enough to be the first on Google when you type in hunting photographer. That doesn't get you very far, really. In real life, it doesn't. What really gets you somewhere is building relationships. Go hang out with people who buy imagery, hang out with people who, who use photography or who want to have someone along as a photographer. I mean, those, those are the key elements to me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today, hopping on the podcast. I uh, really enjoyed having you on. I appreciate it, man. It's a great time. You're a good guy. I appreciate your time. All right, y'all, that'll do it for episode 93 of Living Country in the City. Make sure y'all check out the show notes page at livingcountryinthecity.com slash 93. Get links to Tony's socials and everything we talked about in today's episode. Thank you all for listening, and until next time, keep it country, y'all. Thank y'all for listening to Living Country in the City. Get show notes and check out the blog, product reviews, events, and more at livingcountryinthecity.com. to succeed you want to fish you want to be one of the greatest tune in to west marines life on the water presented by costa custom boats every saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m eastern on waypoint tv when you go out there and the fish are where you think they are any one of these casts could be the bite it's the most exciting fishing that i know right here at hogs cave Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.